People first organizations will win in the future of work. Your only real asset is your people. We, we all, all want purpose-driven work. work. HR-led organization is I'm sorry, but leaders don't lead empty desks and empty shop floors. Welcome to the People Strategy Leaders Show. I'm your host, Sri Chalapa, founder and president of Engagedly, and a serial entrepreneur in technology, films, and music. This is where we talk to people leaders, business strategists, and organizational savants about leading in the time of change. What is working, what is not working, and more importantly, what we should be thinking about. Stick around to the end of the show. We will reveal how you can be our next guest. And now, let's engage. Hello, welcome. This is Sri Chalapa with People Strategy Leaders Podcast. Today, I'm joined with Kim Williams. Instrumental in fostering Walker Advertising's inclusive and award-winning culture, Vice President Kim Williams is responsible for all aspects of people operations. Recognized for her integrity and interpersonal skills, Kim has also been acknowledged for her creative approaches to recruitment and retention. She has an unparalleled reputation for navigating turbulence and change, as well as nurturing positive relationships with colleagues at all levels in an organization. Kim began her HR career as a diplomat with the U.S. Department of State, where she tackled complex personal challenges, negotiated at the United Nations in Vienna, and received awards for her precedent-setting work in diversity and inclusion. With a passion for community service, Kim lives Walker's unique core values that hold social responsibility and innovation as foundations for growth. Well, welcome to the show, Kim. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, and you've done obviously a lot, and I'm very impressed with the fact that you actually were a negotiator of of, of uh, uh, some international uh, treaties, I guess, but, uh, but that's probably a topic for another day. Um, actually, you know, when we were talking earlier, uh, a topic we were we were discussing was power imbalance and how the dynamics can affect even if you are an executive. And I know that's not a that's not necessarily a topic we talk about a lot on the show, but it's an important one. Um, so, Kim, t- talk to me a little bit about you know what is it? What does the power imbalance mean? And I want to get into the details of this uh, story that you a personal story that you have on, on the power imbalance. Yeah, because I I find that when you dig into a lot of workplace abuses, there's always that element of a power imbalance. You know, people are doing things because they feel like they can get away with it. Either it's that boss, that supervisor. And I've been watching, you know, ever since the Me Too movement, you know, in in the U.S., I think they've pushed through 70 different laws, you know, at the state level and the federal level that's been pushing through a lot of change. EU's gone through a lot of change. We're seeing all around the world, we're seeing all these laws kind of go into effect. We're seeing a lot of DEI efforts and trainings and things like that. But the area we're not touching very much is around executives. So in the field of HR, if you are, you know, making everyone in your company do a training, but the executives refuse to, well, you're on the wrong side of that empowerment. It's like, how do you find that leverage to get them to want to do it? How do you get that buy-in from folks that may not see it as a problem because they are not personally experiencing it? And so I feel like we need to have a lot more conversation about that kind of dynamic. Yeah, and it's very interesting, right? You you are tasked with building a, a good culture where harassment is not an issue, uh, other inappropriate behaviors are, not, are, are, you know, avoided, if you will, or at least being respected that we, we don't do that. But you can't necessarily force the executives 
or the CEOs, the CXOs to take that training because, you know, they're the CXO and CEOs. Yeah. They decide, <laughs> right. I'm not, I don't need this training or it's not yeah. important enough for me. I have more business dealings to mm-hmm. focus, be focusing on. So, so I guess the question then becomes, how do you uh, address that as an HR leader? Because your biggest non-compliant culprits might be your bosses. Right, because that's where there's the least amount of accountability. And so I think the big trick is figuring out how to establish that accountability there. And I think that there's very, you know, friendly, non-threatening ways to engage in that conversation. And I know, you know, some things that have become more powerful are lawsuits, um, huge international scandals, negative press coverage. I mean, you know, using Me Too as an example again, I mean, you've got hundreds of powerful leaders that have had their careers destroyed, where stock prices have dropped significantly within 24 hours of something, you know, breaking there. We're starting to see shareholders begin to sue boards if they had knowledge of an executive who was abusing people and they did nothing to intervene. Uh, Breach of contract cases, so much more kind of creativity in terms of these lawsuits. And there was recently a case in Texas where you had one discrimination case and it went to a jury trial and that jury awarded $366 million to the plaintiff. And so I think that there's ways to point to these other outside big scary things that could be coming for them and even frame these conversations of, I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to protect our organization from the risk of X, Y, and Z um, so that hopefully they'll begin to see it in a different kind of light. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, providing them with actual cases of where basically that one action sank the company, sank the organization, put thousands of people out of jobs potentially or at stress levels that they shouldn't otherwise have to deal with is a great case to make when you're talking to executives. You know, it's not just about you, it's about the organization. It's about all the stakeholders in the organization, including your employees, your people, who rely on this for their livelihood and their and their and their uh, uh, you know personal uh, belonging that they have there. That's a great point, and I think I think HR leaders could do a better job instead of just saying, "Hey, did you take this training? Did you take this training?" Which is great, but then say, "Hey, listen, if you don't do this, here's some situations that have happened, and it's really important that you protect yourself, but also the organization." So you know, great points there. Um, you know, I think. That's a, coming back to that, you know, the other thing, if it was interesting about that is where the, the harassment and other types of inappropriate behaviors happen is literally at those levels where there's massive power imbalance, right? If you look at many of these cases, it's usually not just a, a line manager. Yes, in some cases it's line managers, but a lot of cases they're an executive or the C-level individual who did that. So if anything, they need uh, probably more awareness of these things where they might think, oh, it's, I was just kidding around, you know, well, maybe not, you know, maybe not, <laughs> maybe that's not how the other person perceived it as. Um, so it's more important than what I'm saying to, trying to say at, at that level than at the levels, uh, in the lower levels. Now, you have a personal story here, which just makes it even more interesting because if it happens to you and you're an executive and then it becomes more interesting, right? How do you deal with that? So uh, if you don't mind, uh, you know, as much as open as you can be, I would love to 
you know have you share that story and what how you addressed it and 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 lessons for other people who are in a similar position yeah no i'd be happy to and you know for me um It was a chief executive that I I had a a really big issue with, and I was the head of HR, and it put me in a difficult spot. So this is my boss, who I reported to, who could fire me at any particular moment. And um, it it became very, very abusive within weeks of me starting this new position. And I knew I couldn't open an investigation. Any other employee in the company, I could open an investigation, and, you know, you kind of have, like what should be a a fair and objective process for determining if something has happened and and then figuring out, you know, some sort of remediation from there. But anything I open in my own shop would look tainted. So I couldn't do it there. And so I also couldn't go to HR. I was HR. And so a lot of times if you're in a situation like that, you know, you would go to in-house counsel um, to, to try and navigate that space. Or if your company is small and doesn't have that, then you may go with an outside law firm that folks use and try and engage the board at that Point. Um, and so I, I actually met with in-house counsel and they didn't want to do anything. Um, this person had been very difficult. Everybody was kind of scared of this individual. And so I ended up meeting alone with the board, sharing my experience, sharing that I was aware that a number of other folks had been really harmed by this behavior. And it was a little bit split. I didn't have the majority, though. It was, you know, there was some folks that were very much aware and were pained by that and wanted to do something. But then there was a, there were more folks that were very much aware, but they felt this person got things done. Um, It wasn't affecting them. They weren't being mistreated. And they really didn't want to do anything. And so I ended up pretty alone in that case. As I know I, many other folks do as well, and I think one of the best things you can do is start preparing it for the outside world, like your safety lives beyond the walls of your, your company. And so I started documenting everything, just like I would recommend anyone do in any situation like this. Um, I reached out to an attorney who really helped guide me through that process. Um, you, I became, you said the board didn't do anything in this case? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then you also obviously raised the issue directly with this individual um and so they were aware that yep. that you had an issue with their behavior but uh, they decided i guess not to do anything about their own behavior or how did that conversation go it was um they would quiet down for a little bit um once they were kind of called out and then i would slowly watch it kind of tick back up you know so you'd have like a few nice meetings and then there'd be little flashes of rage and then it would still kind of work back into where they were I, I think that they just almost physically could not maintain themselves they'd had this behavior for quite a long time and so um it just kept landing back there and then i would write it up again and send something to them again copying in the board saying you're ignoring this this situation is getting worse which creates more liability for them yeah Okay. Well, I just wanted to get the clarification. Yeah. There's some good takeaways for other people uh, who are in a situation. So, you know, obviously you did the right things by raising it to the individual first and then raising it to the board because you can't really go to anyone else at that point. Um, And then the council. So, yeah, then I guess uh, you talk to the council, right? Uh, Yeah, they were very reluctant to do anything. and I kept pressing for an investigation. I wanted them to hire an outside law firm. There's still risk there that that could be tainted or biased, um, but I wanted to take it outside of the company at that point. And so, you know, I kept putting things in writing again. I wrote to the board chair saying, 
you know, uh, I came to you with a legitimate complaint, a complaint you have personally confirmed that you knew was an issue. You know, why are you ignoring my complaint where any other employee at this very large organization, we conduct investigations. Why are you breaking with our own policy? Why are you breaking, um, breaking with our own practice? And so basically I had to use our own policies and procedures to almost kind of back them into a corner and then they re agreed to an investigation. As the complainant, I didn't have a ton of visibility. I, you know, shared my story. It ended up lasting months. Apparently a lot of people came forward and at the end they sustained allegations of abuse, um, but they said, but, you know, there was no really re retaliation is what they, they had determined. And their recommendation at that point was to hire an executive coach and they considered the matter closed, um, which was completely unsatisfactory from my point of view. And so at that point I negotiated a settlement and I left that company um, because this was not a place where our values were aligned. So, um, now obviously you learned some, uh, this is a story obviously. So what were some of the lessons you learned through the process if you were to do it all over again that you would do a, things differently, but also, or maybe not, maybe you did the right things, you know, or, but more importantly, what advice would you give to other people? I guess is a second part question on people who might find themselves in a similar situation. Yeah, I think, um, I think I would probably end up doing it very similar to what I did before. I think I would just be less afraid. And, you know, I like to speak very openly about how scared I was in that moment, because I think it is, it's very serious for folks. You know, when your job is threatened, it impacts where your kids go to school, what house you live in. It, it affects your entire world. And I've seen so many times where people are just absolutely paralyzed by fear. Um, but by figuring out whatever path you kind of need to go to get there to just go through that process, it's survivable. I survived it, and I think um, the more you kind of come into your own power that way, the safer you are for the rest of your life because you will show up differently, and these kinds of things won't make their way to you, if that kind of makes sense. Um, but I think, yeah, I think I probably would have done it with um, without all-consuming fear, fewer sleepless nights, um, those kinds of things. You know, I think that's the biggest thing about this, right? It's not so much the, I mean, it is the abuse, but more importantly, it's the fear that you have where you can't sleep, you're dreading getting into your car the next morning to go to work. Um, you're dreading facing that person in the office or in the hallway and, you know, like avoiding that person. And and I can say to that because I have experienced something similar when I'm in my early 20s. Uh, my first uh, one of my first jobs um, and it and I can I can relate to that to some extent uh, where you basically are paralyzed uh, you know a lot of times and that affects your personal life it affects your uh, professional growth and your life there and you know there's there's a lot of uh, collateral damage so it's the abuse might be very narrow maybe maybe it's only happens every three or four days or whatever that is, but the impact is so much more widespread mm -hmm. um, around you and your your uh, families and friends as well. So, um, you know, if, so if an executive or a senior level individual finds themselves in a situation, you know, what, what are the two or three things they should do immediately to, you know, both at the personal level, but also at, from a work perspective and procedure perspective, to, to get themselves 
out of the situation. Keep it in writing is one of the most powerful things you can do. Um, what becomes really complicated and hard are the, the he said, she said conversations where somebody can deny something that was discussed. So the more you can create a written record, I think it does two things. One, it helps you focus through the fear and the emotions that may be kicking up and keeps you kind of on track to exactly what the problem is. But then it also puts the other person on notice. Those things can be forwarded. They can be discovered. They can be sent to a newspaper. It just opens things up. And so if somebody gets in a heated exchange and you're saying, hey, you treated me unfairly or this bad thing happened, emotions can kind of flare up and die down and people feel like they can walk away. But when they get it in an email and it's in writing, it has way more power to it. I also recommend look at your handbook. Nobody ever reads this thing, but it's actually, you know, it's it's a, a contract between the company and the employee. So it's not just for the employee to follow these rules. The company is supposed to follow these rules too. And they can actually get into a fair degree of trouble depending on where they are for, uh, you know, breaking that contract. But I think it can also make people's hair stand up on the back of their neck a little bit. If you are copying word for word, those policies in your communication. So if you write an email with no emotion, very simple, saying this event happened on this date, this is affecting my ability to do my work, it's in violation of policy X, and then you copy and paste that policy, you know, I am informing you as my employer um, that this has, you know, impacted me, and or if you're speaking directly to your boss, you're letting them know that their behavior has directly impacted you, and that you hope that they can work out a resolution. And so by showing up that way, there can be a lot of power in it. Yeah, I it is obviously uh, easier said than done, especially if you're an executive, right? How do you deal with it if you are the VP of something or the CHRO or the head of HR? I mean, you, you can't write an email to yourself, so you write an yeah. email. So how do you how do you navigate that? Well, so like in my case, I was the the head of HR, and I emailed this directly to the chief executive, who was the the culprit, and then uh -huh. I followed up with emails to the board members um, to hold someone accountable there. And what assurance? You know, obviously, when you're at that level, you're obviously. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's not a job you can just get right out of the bat. You know, right. you earn that, and it's culmination of fifteen, twenty, maybe longer years of. Mm -hmm experience and work you put into it. So there's a fear, obviously, of losing that job or losing that career because you've been working towards that all your life. It's not like an entry level job that you can be like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'll just go somewhere else. Exactly. So what, what, how, how should one think about that in that role? Um, no, I think that's exactly where that, that fear comes in. And, you know, I've dealt with this and I've dealt with similar situations over the year where I was, years where I wasn't advocating for myself, but advocating for other people that in, in very much similar ways was going to upset the board, going to upset the chief, somebody who could fire me very quickly. And what I have found long term is that folks won't like you when you do this. They're going to be very upset with you, but they will respect you um, because they're seeing that you're speaking to something that's truthful, that deep down that they know is truthful. And I have sat in the closed door spaces with executives who've received these emails. And I can tell you that they are more afraid than people realize. And sometimes you see that show up in the backlash behavior. I recently did a podcast with two brilliant young people who talk about domestic violence and, and the parallels there, because, you know, 
an abuser and like, you know, a, a situation at home will often say, oh, you can't find anybody else. No one will, will want to be with you. And it's really a reflection of their own fear of you leaving. And the same thing can be said of an executive, their own fear of dealing with accountability, their own fear of losing something, their own fear of shame of other people potentially coming forward. All that risk is showing up in their fear and it may kind of appear in like how they respond to you. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're able to keep your wits about you, keep looking folks directly in the eye and keep an expression of calm there, it is very, very much survivable. Yeah. Now, what would you say to someone? And I'm not, you know, I'm asking some of these hard questions because I think it is important that people yeah. learn from this as well or, or learn from your experience is that, hey, most likely doing this will mean that I will not have this job one way or the other, whether it's through settlement mm -hmm. or maybe I get fired or maybe I quit or mm -hmm. any of those combination thereof. Which does that make this make me unhirable in the future? Because now I am, you know, I have this reputation that I did this. I don't know. What would you, you know? Well, say? that was exactly what I was afraid of. That was exactly what I was afraid of. And I can tell you that I love to tell this story. The first email that I ever wrote, that's exactly what th I went through my head. Like, the, you can't replace jobs like this on a dime. You know, what if I'm hanging out there for a long time? What's going to happen to my family? You know, you're thinking about all of these things. And I remember that feeling was so intense that it was almost impossible for me to write this email. I remember actually drafting it at my desk, saving it in draft form walking to the parking lot and then hitting send as I was leaving because that's how consumed I was with that idea. But it didn't happen. Nothing happened. And so this person never responded. They never replied. They were nice for a little bit, but I could feel a difference. You know, I wasn't fired in this moment. Depending on where you are, if you send an email like that, you've got a clear case of retaliation. And so it may violate a company policy. It may violate a law, you know, in uh, set up a law, but because so many people are be are really coming forward, Gen Z in particular is just doing an amazing job of this, where they're calling folks out and there's this whole kind of air of accountability. And what I found as I went through this process is there's protection in that because at least you have a documented story now for why you left. And it's something more concrete than a he said, she said situation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think but is there any fear that after I leave, but does that make me unemployable by other organizations? I had that fear, but that was absolutely not true. You know, while I was working through this process and kind of closing out, I put my hat out there and got tons of interviews. And I even became more direct in those interviews and said, this was my experience. How would you as a chief exe you know, executive deal with abuse at the highest level? And in some cases, I walked away from job interviews because I could tell that they didn't necessarily have the backbone to engage in those and they didn't want to have those hard conversations. And so I knew that wasn't right for me. But I ended up with a great company. My CEO is very much aware that I'm doing these interviews where I'm talking about things. I'm going and writing articles and doing interviews on how to sue your boss, you know, and you would think that would be pretty uncomfortable for a boss. <laughs> but I think. It's also a way to slowly kind of change the world and the ecosystem of work by saying, I have values. I stand for my values. 
do you have this too? Is this a priority for you? Because if mm-hmm. you are, we're a great fit for each other. And I think that there are more folks out there, even at those top levels, who've had negative experience, who've been injured in the past, and who recognize this, that yeah. th- there's value in it. Yeah. No, I definitely appreciate that. And I think if you're unemployable to a company because of that, I mean, that company is not for you anyway. Right. It's you not know? for anybody. It's and, not for Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and they're going to have constant you, churn. So. Yeah. And I also think what we're starting to see, too, is the analytics for measuring engagement in people is becoming so much more sophisticated. And so a lot of times, you know, we call them like the brilliant jerk. People would hold on to the brilliant jerk because they're like, oh, they're a highly valued employee. They bring in, you know, $1 million a year, whatever that number is. But if they make life so painful for, say, 10 people around them, well, you can now look and say, mm, you, they're now giving you 60% at best. So take those 10 salaries, cut 40% off and throw it away. Like you're now tell me, is this brilliant jerk worth it? Because this is what you're losing immediately. And so we're starting to be able to speak that language a little bit differently that I think is helpful too. Yeah. Yeah. The brilliant jerk. I like that term. I don't, I've not heard of that, but I, I know what you mean by that. Yeah. It's one uh, person you tolerate because of their performance. Um, yep. Great. Um, so yeah, so you're obviously a big advocate in, in this in this space, and you talk a lot about uh, you know harassment and abuse at work. Uh, where can people read more about you, learn more about you and your work, and um, and contact you if they need to? Yeah, LinkedIn. Um, so I I post regularly about you know my own experiences with fear, my own experiences of navigating this space. Um, feel free to DM me. You know, I, I help a lot of people just because I care about this and, and I really believe it. And so it's, it's very simple. It's just linkedin.com forward slash Kimberly E. Williams um, with dashes between Kimberly E. and Williams. And um, yeah, and I also have, you know, where you can either direct message me um, for folks in most parts of the U.S. We, you know, have consults with attorneys who work for free. Um, so if people are, you know, I feel like, okay, I'm really at that stage where I need that type of help here, um, then we may be able to help you. If not, you know, we try and find resources in places where that's not there. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you, Kim. It's been a pleasure having you. And I really enjoyed our discussion today on this uh, subject that we really don't talk about a lot. I appreciate uh, you coming on my podcast. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. Thank you. Until next time. Okay. Shri Chalapa here. Thank you so much for listening to the People Strategy Leaders Podcast. If you are a successful leader or a people strategist who would like to be on this program, please visit engagedly.com slash people strategy leaders podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media? If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag people strategy leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any episodes. Go ahead and subscribe your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter at Sri Chalapa. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. And thank you to Patrick Ramsey, sound engineer at Kalinga Production Studios for recording and mixing this show.